Providing insight into healthcare from a multidisciplinary approach, this is the Fostering Wellness Podcast. I'm registered massage therapist Matt Wells, a rehab professional, joined by my co-host, Joel Foster, a psychotherapist and mental health professional. Let's get better together. Welcome back to the Fostering Wellness Podcast. Um, I am joined with my co-host, Matthew Wells. What's up? And we are here today to talk about health. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> JK, JK, it's been a while. Um, we're uh, kind of taking off weeks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just giving ourselves a little bit more time to sit on our topics do other things related to business. And enjoy the summer. And enjoy the summer. Yes. Yes. And renovations and whatnot. There's there's some, there's some multiple factors, but uh, we're thinking about getting back to the weekly format come the winter. That's right. I believe. So if you're really fiending for the episodes, sorry, the summer's got us <laughs> week on, week off. Yeah, uh, but we'll be back full time. Don't you worry. Yeah, we aren't exactly millionaires off this podcast yet. No, not yet. No. But if you keep tuning in, who knows? Spread we the might word. Make a dollar. Spread the word. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. No, we're excited. We're going to talk about um, performance, and we're going to talk about some rehabilitation and all that fun stuff. And. Uh, you know, I know you have some ideas about that, Matt, but uh, how about you give everybody a little update on what's new? Uh, well, I'm getting my second dose of the vaccine uh, this week. Nice. So Friday, 4.30, as soon as I'm done work, getting the old injection, taking Saturday and Sunday off. And that's more so a just-in-case if I feel absolutely trash, ah, then I won't have to worry about like rescheduling people or anything like that. Uh, but I also kind of want to take the weekend off. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> win, win. Yeah, right. Win, win. Um, aside from that. Unless you're sick. <laughs> unless I'm sick, in, yeah, in yeah, which yeah. case, that's going to suck. That's gonna suck. But it happens. Yes. Say la vie. Yeah. I was uh, a little ill myself for my second dose, mm. which I got this past Friday. Yeah. Um, not too bad. Arm's doing all right. But uh, napped heavy. It was a heavy nap day. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I was just feeling a bit exhausted, a little wonky, but uh, I survived. Yeah. And now I'm stronger for it. Did you get any, uh, (laughs) did you give yourself any like cheat meals because you got the injection? Uh, Mr. Noodles. (laughs) (laughs) I had some baby carrots. <laughs> I, I don't think you can compare baby carrots to Mr. Noodles. I'm not a nutritional expert. Uh, don't think they have the same nutritional value. Anywho, um, yeah, good to hear that you're getting shot up. I felt well, pretty good about it. It's <laughs> interesting phrasing. Um, yes, I'm definitely getting shot up uh, yeah. this Friday. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know. I'm looking forward to doing that, and uh, aside from that, in two weeks' time, uh, me and Brittany are going to be doing a little vacation, a little staycation nice. around Newfoundland. Nice. Going to go visit some, uh, I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast before, but yeah, we're just going to do like a cross Newfoundland trip, uh, nice. check some places out that we haven't seen, and so I'm looking forward to that, but other than that, things have been pretty standard, yeah. standard operating procedure, going to be just working and staying active, practicing mindfulness. Making sure I'm checking my uh, my health. I love it. Uh, the usual stuff. How about you? Anything um, new? Well, we're just off our vacation. We stayed in our staycation. We didn't go anywhere because we've done Newfoundland a couple times now. Yeah. Meh. Meh. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Newfoundland's beautiful. If you're not from Newfoundland, come visit us. That's right. Once you're shot up with your vaccine. <laughs> with your vaccine. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it was nice just taking in the downtown St. John's scene, doing a little shopping, trying out some fancy restaurants. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. having some delicious pizzas. Yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> yeah, because when we were hanging out yesterday, yeah. uh, Sparrow, you said you little could Sparrow. Little Sparrow, yeah, yeah. That was tasty. I had the margarita pizza there. Yeah. Top notch. Shout out to them. Really good, yeah. Their tiramisu, 
Mm. That's like an Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's all Italian, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if margarita pizza is Italian. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But margaritas aren't. Well, (laughs) that's... Margaritas can be uh, whatever you want it to be. Margaritas are a state of mind. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, usually felt on the weekends. Margaritas are a construct. (laughs) Same as time, bro. I'm feeling margarita this weekend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Matt, um, all uh, food aside, not all food, food's great, but putting that to a side for a minute... Getting super serious. Whoa. About some performance and rehabilitation. Damn. Okay, we're going right into it. What do you like? Rehabilitation, performance, both? Both. Well, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this topic on the podcast at some point was uh, there's been a bit of a debate in the physical rehabilitation realm. So in some popular... Uh, social media accounts, which we tend to talk about a lot in mm-hmm. rehab. Yeah. Um, there are lots of discussions on whether rehabilitation needs to include performance aspects. Ooh, so okay. this is more so in a very niche spot right now because a lot of the accounts that I follow, like the like the area I tend to bias myself towards is strength training. Yeah, And so there will be some arguments around whether lifting for performance aspects like with regards to form is inherently rehabilitative like do we have less injuries lifting a particular way than not okay and so if someone let's say has an injured like leg or back or something like that do we need to change their form for rehabilitation or are those two separate issues form is more for performance instead of for rehabilitation okay okay well Matthew, what side do you fall on? I think there's some gray area. Okay. So, really? Gray area, man? Wow. Everything's supposed to be black and white. Crazy. There's nuance to this. <laughs> um, according to me. We love some nuance. Yes. So I'll flush that out a little bit. So if you're taking someone who has like no injuries, they're completely healthy, and you get them to lift with a rounded back, And then you take Mm -hmm. someone else who is, again, not injured at all, and you get them to lift with an extended back. And then you take a third person who lifts with a neutral back. So far, we don't have the data to say any one of those people are going to get more injured than the other. What we do see is a trend towards injury from a workload capacity standpoint, meaning that if we got someone in any one of those three categories to do a lot more than what they're used to in a very short amount of time so they don't adapt to it, like over time it's not a gradual increase in workload okay then they may end up getting injured it's like doing too much too soon sure that makes sense right yeah but we don't necessarily see a correlation with form okay but here's where the conversation gets a bit interesting if we take someone who is injured and they normally lift with a rounded back but that hurts and we change their form to lift with an extended back and that doesn't hurt are we working on performance or rehabilitation? Or does that matter? Okay. Right? And so for me, if I were to, just to kind of make these thoughts more concrete, yeah. um, if I were to use a deadlift as an example, so picking something up off the ground, it's a very functional movement that everybody does every day. Everybody's always picking up stuff. It's like a sure. backpack, you know, your kids, stuff like that. Sure. Everyone's doing a deadlift at some point throughout the day, whether they want to call it a deadlift. Hear that, everybody? You're doing deadlifts. <laughs> everybody's doing deadlifts. Keep it up. Great job. Um, yes, keep staying at. But um, if someone is, again, they have a, let's say, a back injury, and they're normally lifting with a rounded back, and then we switch to extended, and there's no pain, a lot of people will end up insinuating from that circumstance that extended back lifting is safer than rounded back lifting. But again, we don't have data to say that you'll get injured more with a rounded back or with an extended back. And getting more specific into that scenario uh, just really quickly because I'm not just talking about deadlifts and rounded back stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, we actually do have evidence to show that lifting with rounded back is more... Your back is actually stronger than with an extended back. Yeah, well, I guess, Matt, uh, maybe clarify what form is yeah. for okay, us, yeah. us lay people so we got a better understanding of it. This, yeah, actually, that was... 
Thank you for reminding me. I was actually <laughs> going to start there and I forgot. Um, form is essentially the manner in which we perform a task. Mm-hmm. And so that tends in most people's mind to be broken down into aesthetics and biomechanics. So if you're lifting with an extended back and a deadlift, your form would look like almost like a textbook form. Like a lot of people would see that in a strength and conditioning textbook to lift with a neutral spine, like use your hips and your, and your legs and your hamstrings and stuff like that. Um, but then form can also mean different things to different people. Like my form is different than your form, yeah. even though we're doing the same activity. It's just okay. the way in which we perform a task. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's highly individual. Highly individual, yeah. but there tends to be a bias in a lot of people to uh, lift a certain way. And again, that goes back to what I'm talking about here is a lot of people will say that lifting a certain way is less injurious than lifting another way. Mm-hmm. But we don't really have the data to show that. I mean... So where does that come from? I, th- I honestly think it comes from aesthetics. Okay. I think if it looks pretty, people tend to think that it's less deleterious to their health condition. But there's obviously extremes there. If someone is lifting with a highly extended back and just can't get into a good position to even like lift something of substantial weight, then they might be a little bit too overprotective of their back, so it's setting them back. And then... On the other hand, you have somebody who's lifting with such a rounded back that n- the legs aren't really doing anything, and it's all lower back, even though if we're doing an exercise like a deadlift, it should be targeting the hips in addition to the lower back and the legs in addition to the lower back. Yeah. So that's where it becomes like, are we rehabilitating or are we performing? If the task that we're trying to get better at is lifting as much weight as possible off the ground, we shouldn't necessarily be in a super rounded position because mm. that sets our other body parts Uh, at a disadvantage through leverage if the task is to specifically target a particular muscle group like a bodybuilder not a powerlifter then we absolutely do need to focus on what your joints are doing in different positions of a lift but if it comes to pain we know that we can get pain from doing anything we can get pain from those perfect positions that we try to get ourselves into we can get pain from trying to leverage our body to lift a certain way so that we target a muscle group we can get pain walking down the road we can sure. get pain sitting down. Sure. So I've never done that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in my mind, changing form can be can be for performance sake, but I wouldn't necessarily associate it only with that. Sometimes I change people's form to make them disadvantaged to reduce pain. Okay. So if your leg hurts, let's say it's your knee. Yeah. We'll, we'll go off the lower back. Um. So your, your knee hurts. It hurts when you're down in like a really deep squat. Okay. One of the things that I do for pain is like, okay, well, don't squat that low. Mm. Right? Go down as far as comfortable. Pause there. Hold it for a second. Come back up. Other things that you can do, you can sit down onto a seat and stand back up rather than have nothing there. Other things okay, you can yeah. do is uh, you could change up the method in which you're squatting. And if you're doing, If you're putting the barbell on your back for a squat, maybe you can put it on the front. Maybe you can tolerate that a little bit better. Um Maybe you can wear lifting shoes, which is like a heeled shoe that allows you to reduce the amount of like forward knee travel, or sorry, increase the forward knee travel, so reduces the the stress in your ankle. Um, there are so many different things you can do, but for some people that also may be uh, like for performance, right? Yeah. These re- rehabilitative exercises. So if we go back to maybe not squatting that low, maybe somebody can use a little bit more weight, squatting a little bit more shallow. So it just gets them more exposure to heavier weights, which is something that they wouldn't even do beforehand. Okay. So the argument in the strength training community is like whether changing your form or coaching has to be one or the other. Like, But I think it's a little bit of a mix of both. And I don't think you can really isolate one over the other. Okay. And I hope I got my thoughts across yeah, like, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh... I guess, you know, going back to, so you're talking about performance mm-hmm. in your example, would that be related to the the workload? You know, you, know, you, you talked about um, if you add more weight and you do it too quickly, that's what causes an injury. It's like one contributing factor. Also. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's the only contributing yeah, factor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I guess the... The performance piece you're talking about is getting yourself to a place where you can 
lift more weight. And so whether you're adding more weight to rehabilitate an injury or to increase how much weight you're lifting, i.e. performance, yeah. you think that that's a little bit blurred there, whether you're doing one or the other, or if they're inherently both happening at the same time. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the sports example, but it... We do love sports. We do love sports. <laughs> like That's the strength training uh, kind of uh, answer, yeah. where you know you can modify form and it'll reduce pain, but it also might increase performance if you're doing something that you haven't done before and you get better at it, yeah. right? Super reduced, that was pretty much what I just said. Yeah. Um, but, you know, changing form as an example isn't the only thing. You can reduce the weight, but you yeah. can increase the reps. And so you're mm-hmm. still doing more work than before, in a different way and again you're doing something that you haven't done in a while so maybe that could increase performance as well yes and then eventually once you return to what you were doing when it's not as sensitive maybe you're a bit better at it okay okay i get what you're saying yeah okay so i guess then you know because when i picture um or i imagine rehabilitation i imagine rehabilitating some sort of injury Mm -hmm. and so what i think i hear you saying is that you can rehabilitate that injury but in rehabilitating it um you're also potentially increasing performance so that say when the injury lessens or we'll say gets better you know um that 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 exercise or form or training or whatever rehabilitation you were doing actually might put you into a better spot when you get back to doing the activities that you were already doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and even if it doesn't put you in like a physically better position, like here's why I want to talk to you about this because one of the other aspects that I think of, if I just told somebody who has like a sore knee or sore back, like, you know, do, do these changes and still stay in the gym, but we're going to change what you do in the gym so that it's less like threatening for you, less painful and less symptomatic. Um, even if it didn't change things physically at all, it still keeps them confident in moving that particular joint or area. Mm. So from a psychological standpoint, it's more confidence. Yeah. It, it's not fearful. It, it's something that gets people staying active. Yeah. Right. Um, that's why I'm not a big fan of pure rest. Like that does have its time and place, but I'm not a big fan of pure rest for every injury or even most injuries, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but again, this is the sports example, and like talking about the average like office worker. Sure, yeah, yeah. Bring it back to to, to the us. Yeah, <laughs> bring it back to the us. So yeah. for anyone who's like has a job, like sitting down at a desk, as most of us do these days, yeah. um, performance and rehabilitation are almost linked even more in mm. that case, in my mind, because. You're not an athlete per se. Maybe you are as like, you know, that's your hobby. That's what you like to do. But if your main source of income, like what you do every day for eight hours a day is sit at a desk and that's what you're trying to get, you know, rehabilitated. You can't sit at a desk for too long because things hurt. Yeah. Then the performance is sitting down at a desk. Mm-hmm. And so if we were to bring that form thing back to sitting at a desk, what does that look like? Ergonomics. Yeah. Like, how many times do you see somebody with, like, a raised office chair or, mm-hmm. like, standing desk or, like, ergonomic stuff, like, setups, chairs, and all of these, like, gadgets that you can get for sitting down? That is form yeah. for them. Yeah. Right? And so here's why I think that is maybe detrimental. Okay. So a um, little curveball. Sure, sure, sure. So, okay. So in, in the context of work, talking about um, form, changing form, yeah. it being detrimental? Okay. So, or, oh, I'll give you the nuance here now. Sure. If you think back to what we were talking about, like, a few minutes ago, yeah. to, you know, we don't really have the evidence to show that lifting with a neutral spine is safer than lifting with a, back, a grounded back or an extended back. Like, it's all fine, given the person can tolerate it and what they prefer. Yeah. Why is it that ergonomics forces people into the same position? Mm-hmm. It's the same argument that you have with lifting. Yeah. It's like, why do we want to keep a neutral spine, chest up, shoulders back, like eyes directly in front of us, alternate standing and sitting, don't necessarily turn with your back, like move like your chair around. Yeah. We're giving the same advice to everyone. 
Mm-hmm. Do we have evidence to show that sitting in that position and doing those things reduces risk of injury? Mm. We don't. Yeah. Actually, yeah. we have more evidence coming out now that shows that variations of movement is better than one movement, yeah. whether that is neutral or rounded or extended. And I've talked a little bit about it before, but it's like that's one of the first things I tell people with back pain when they sit down. They think they really need to sit up because of all these messages that we get from workplace policies and all these things that are can be actually pretty harmful to people is stay in this one position. Don't yeah. get out of it or else you'll injure yourself. No, it's, it's not true. Like people tend to benefit more often these days by slouching because they are never in that position. Mm-hmm. And they feel like because they have back pain that will get worse from slouching. So they force themselves in, into a erect posture and an erect posture is, you know, you use your back uh, quite a bit to stay in that position. Yeah. So we're telling them to use the thing that hurts the entire day for eight hours a day, mm. which tends to make things work, uh, things worse. Yeah. But then they tend to associate that because they feel like maybe they slouched at one point in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, my back hurts now because maybe I slouched a couple of times that, instead yeah. of the fact that they stayed in one position for like the seven and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's those one or two times I slouched, not the seven and a half hours that I spent <laughs> yeah. in an erect Focusing posture. Focusing on the negative. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's where it comes down to performance versus rehabilitation. Like if the performance is sitting down for long periods of time and we're trying to rehabilitate that, one of the things that I would tell somebody is to, you know, just change your form a little bit. Yeah. Same thing I would tell somebody who's lifting. It's like, if your back hurts lifting a particular weight, let's try changing your form. Yeah. It's one of the easiest things you can do, and we don't have evidence to show that different form will injure different people. Yeah. We just don't. And it usually comes down to what the subjective feeling is for the person. Do you feel better with a rounded back? Stick with a rounded back for a little bit more. Do you feel better with an extended back? Do that. Yeah. Right? It just, it also opens up a lot more doors. Like I told somebody this one time in clinic and they said, that is like a very freeing thing you just told me because I've been sticking with this rigid posture for so long because I've been told that. And this is the first time I've been told I can slouch. Yeah. And that was like a weight off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Like those were that person's words. Well, I I imagine it being the equivalent of trying to tell someone to always be happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you sad? That's going to work for some people. (laughs) Some people like will respond to hey, we just kind of like think positively about this but you know that's that's not good practice right you work with the person where they are so you know always be happy or always be erect mm-hmm. right because that's what we aesthetically yeah right it looks pretty it looks pretty yeah right? uh, is it realistic yeah and like a bit of history on that i think that started like way back like <laughs> back yeah, like I don't, I don't really know the exact date. <laughs> like, things started trending in that direction, but you know, it's it's a really old concept that sitting up with like a completely symmetrical posture and like all these things are uh, like beneficial for you. And I didn't mean for this to turn into that argument, but I think that started like years ago with like the church and everything, like trying to get like students to sit up. And yeah, I think it started in school as a type of thing where if you slouch and lean forward, you like get your something wrist to do with nobility, perhaps. Yes, yeah, yeah actually, I that's feel like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I've heard Victorian that, England. Maybe, yeah, maybe as far back as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Keep that crown held high. But uh, beyond the the whole posture, thing, <laughs> there's a history lesson for everybody because uh, <laughs> posture is definitely one of my hot button issues in clinic. Um, yeah, that's, I just think it's, it's hard to define that fine line between like performance and rehabilitation, despite the fact that there are very dogmatic views on either side. Like I'm not a big fan of hearing people say, uh, you're lifting wrong and that's why you're getting pain or you're lifting bad and that's why you're getting pain or you're sitting wrong and that's how you're getting pain. But I've also heard people on the complete opposite end of the spectrum saying that you can do anything and have performance not be impacted. And it's like, that's also not true. Yeah. yeah, It's like, you know, gray area. I think if you're trying to achieve elite status in a particular activity, then yes, performance and form and uh, that that completely does matter. Yeah. And when we're rehabilitating people, uh, we should try and keep them as at high level of capacity of workload as we possibly can if that's their main job. Like yes. if that's what they're trying to do. We can't just say, okay, let's change things up drastically so that you're not even doing very similar things. But again, that you still have to take into account that that still is rehabilitative and it can still be performance. Again, if the athlete doesn't do a lot of the stuff that you're getting them to do and you're challenging them, 
it's likely going to be beneficial at some point, which could be an argument for, you know, it's also increasing performance. Yeah. Nuance. Nuance. Yeah. 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 And so then I guess getting, you know, I'll start from the sports perspective too, mm-hmm. because that, like I was telling you before we started this, you know, that seemed to be the main focus, you know, and I did a little bit of research and, and most of the focus was on, well, first of all, the physical aspects of performance and rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So I had to put mental in front of it to get mm-hmm. the right search results, uh, which is a whole other thing I won't get into, but um or have gotten into, we won't get into again, we'll say. Or probably will. Right. Not right now. No. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so when I did that, that was the first thing that came up was the sports psychology. Mm-hmm. When you talk about performance, I think it's really interesting that you brought up performance in that layperson context. Right. That, that everyday, you know, uh, average Joe sitting at the office, that kind of context, because typically we wouldn't think of performance in that way, mm-hmm. right? Typically, it's linked to something like sports, and I think that's why we fall into the habit of bringing up sports examples because that's typically how it's discussed, yeah, right. And so, talking about sports examples, you know, sports psychology is on the up and up, and for mental health performance and rehabilitation don't even really get talked about you know it's, it's really interesting because well, you know the little bit that I know about sports psychology and I, I worked with some athletes myself mm-hmm. uh, well I, I know a, a fair amount of sports psychology but I didn't do a whole lot of work but the work that I did do was mostly uh, you know rehabilitation Right. It was it was athletes coming to me and being like, you know, my life sucks, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed. Like, here's what's going on, which I would consider to be rehabilitation. I guess that's that's the again, going back to that mindset I have, Matt, of seeing an injury and imagining it being re- rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. So seeing somebody who's really struggling with their mental health, have a mental illness, say, or something, you know, a mental or a psychological injury. Yeah. You know, I, I always kind of thought about it as. Okay, we're going to rehabilitate that. We're going to get you back on your feet and get you back out there. But um, it, it was never really like uh, when I imagine performance, I think of that, oh, let's make your game better. Right. Right. How are we going to do that? You know, you think about at the top level, it's about, you know, uh, like you said, confidence is a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Self esteem, focusing on, you know, being able to let mistakes go. Right. And, and all of that stuff, right? But in reflection, like you've kind of said with the the physical part of it, it's certainly blended, mm-hmm. right? You know, you, you think about somebody who, uh, you know, addiction's a pretty easy one to think about in a rehabilitation context. I mean, right. that's, that's where you go. You go to rehab when you're dealing yeah. with an addiction, right? Um, but the strategies and the, the skills that you learn in re- rehabilitation, in rehab, certainly would be connected with performance. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, like, for example, you know, somebody comes with a substance abuse issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol's a common one, you know. I guess I'm sticking with athletes, right? But, right. But even just, you know, your average I think in the person. pandemic, a lot of people with alcohol. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so thinking about, you know, they come and they're looking for help with this. I mean, a lot of the work that we would do is, you know, get you back on track with skills and strategies that help you cope with the negative thinking patterns. And, you know, sometimes it's tied in with Mm self-esteem, you know, or there's some past trauma that you're struggling to cope with and alcohol became your coping mechanism now, you're reliant on it. And so in that work... You know, like you say, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of how to put it in the context like you were of, of form and workload. And it's a little bit, you know, a little bit different in the, the mental health context because it's not as uh, concrete. Mm-hmm. But certainly at least thinking about, if we say form, the strategies. You know, I imagine if, say, you got up and you meditated 
and you did your mindfulness exercises and you know you did your cognitive behavioral exercises and, and you did all of that if you practiced those mm-hmm. and you found some sort of um, way that worked for you right like whether it's creating lists or doing guided meditations or you know anything like that mm-hmm. right I would imagine that those are the forms if you practice that well enough right and Again, not to say everybody has the same forms, but you find your form and you work on that, it's rehabilitating, but it's also giving you that performance so that when you do um, kind of learn how to cope with that addictions piece, Mm -hmm. you still have those those strategies and skills are going to be good afterward anyway. Yeah. Right? Dealing with just your general mental health, right? Uh, You know, people with addictions are just struggling with addictions mm-hmm. right? they're they're human beings as well and they'll get up on the you know quote unquote the wrong side of the bed sometimes and if they have a you know a guided meditation or something that they used to do when they were really struggling with addictions yeah uh, then that's that's going to be equally as beneficial when you're just trying to get through your day yeah which i would relate to performance yeah right you talk about going to the office and sitting down just your general uh activities mm-hmm. right uh, but I've never really thought about it from this context you know like right. like when you brought this up I guess that's when I kind of started thinking about it and brainstorming connecting these ideas and it's really interesting to just think about you know I guess the blurred line the gray the gray area of rehabilitation and performance and performance yeah and how that relates to your mental health well when you were talking about working with athletes from a uh, psychological standpoint um, that well I mean you kind of just said it when an athlete encounters a an issue let's say it buys its itself more towards like the psychological side versus like it, the physical side sure it's like okay now there's a barrier to performance yes so that's something that they need to learn to deal with yes and so once that barrier gets created and you give them or you help them formulate their own strategy that's unique to them similar to form yeah um that allows them to accomplish that task of either it's returning to a sport or doing something within the sport um could be anything yeah Um, once they move past that barrier they'll have a strategy like you just said that they can return to in the future for similar issues. If certain fears or anxieties or other things pop up, then that becomes almost a non-issue, in which case performance has now increased because they aren't fearful of doing that thing, so it's likely they'll be able to train in similar scenarios around whatever it is that's bothering them. Yeah. Like, uh, maybe something started as a physical injury but became more biased towards, like, a mental injury. Maybe they got Mm. checked really hard and now they're afraid of staying near the boards in hockey. And so, you know, physical injury, rehabilitated, but mental injury. Yeah. Like. And so that's a great example. And, and I think one that translates into, so that, that fear, that mm-hmm. fear base that you're talking about, um, you can go beyond sport. And I'm going to kind of mirror them, I guess, so that I can connect it to those who don't play sports. Right. So like you said, in sports, say you got hit or you got checked or, and then you have that fear mm-hmm. and that kind of affects your behavior. Yeah, and if you don't stay around the boards, like during a lot of like practice or games, how good are you going to be around yeah. the boards? You're you're missing a whole. So your performance of the game. is going down. Exactly yeah. right, and so let's connect that to say, uh, you know, work, mm-hmm. right? If you go to work and say you, uh, I don't know, for example, do something wrong at work, right? And you know it's a mistake, but somebody comes to you and kind of reams you for it and says you got to pick up. Right? Right. And then you have a fear of making that mistake. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the you know, what, one of the common things I see uh, is people being afraid to complete tasks for those tasks not being done well enough. Right. Right? Yeah. That avoidance. Right? So you're avoiding it. And so if you're going to avoid that mm-hmm. because you don't want to be, you know, told off or you don't want to feel any reprimand for it, mm-hmm. uh, then that's just going to get worse. Right. Your, your performance is going to go down. Yeah. Right. So in both scenarios, you're dealing with that fear. Mm-hmm. Right. And typically fear is connected to your cognitions. Right. You, you have these thoughts, you have these ideas of, 
you're trying to predict what might happen. Right? Yeah. If I go into the board, I'm going to get injured again. If I get hit, I'm going to get injured again. Yeah. Right? Or if I do this task at work, I'm going to screw it up again. Mm-hmm. Right? You're guaranteeing it, right? Yeah. But in both uh, both scenarios, typically I would use you know, some cognitive behavioral techniques where we would look at those cognitions and say, okay, well, are they legitimate? And we'd work through them, you know, thinking about the, you know, the form, I guess not even just forms, but the practice, mm-hmm. right, of finding that that rehabilitation. Okay, we're going to get over this fear. Mm-hmm. And, and in getting over this fear, you're practicing things like metacognition, right, where you're thinking about your thoughts and what they mean and you're challenging them. And once you kind of get over that fear and get over get over or learn to cope with it, mm-hmm. then you start getting back into it. You start exposing yourself again. Okay, I'll, I'll try out boards in this situation. Uh, I'll see if I can get a few hits in on practice, mm-hmm. you know, during practice. And you kind of work yourself back in and then you start building that performance while you're rehabilitating. Yeah. Right? And then once you've kind of overcame that fear, like I said, then you can still use those strategies for performance, right? Yeah. In other areas, and that's adaptable then. Exactly. Right? And, and learning to cope with those fears, um, even at work, and saying, okay, you know what? If I don't put it out there, I won't get any feedback. I won't know if it's good or not. Mm-hmm. Right? So send it out there. Try it out. Kind of expose yourself. And once you kind of figure out that formula, mm-hmm. ah, form to formula, yeah. ah, uh, that works for you in that context, then you can use that formula again. Say if you have experienced some social pressures at work, right? Right. It's it's a different kind of quote unquote injury, Mm -hmm. right? Self-esteem issues because of social pressures. What, what I'm not, you know, I'm kind of going up with examples as we go, Matt, but if you are able to challenge those thinking patterns again, those unhelpful thinking patterns, those negative cognitions, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to help with your performance in that aspect as well. Yep. Right. So it goes beyond re- rehabilitation uh, with that initial, and now you're performing better in other contexts. Yep. And so the interesting thing is a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, um, you know, it we're kind of on the same page with this, that it's, there's a little bit of both. There's, there's yeah. going to be, in my opinion, some inevitable crossover between yeah. performance and rehabilitation. Yeah. But a lot of policies that I frequently encounter with people are set up. That's so that's, that that's not the case. Like if you have, again, I'm going to go back to the physical stuff. Sure. If you have a back injury and, uh, let's say it hurts to pick things up with a rounded back, um, but it feels good to pick things up with a neutral spine. Um, that just reinforces that negative belief that this is the one way to do it. So what happens in the future if it hurts to pick up things with a neutral spine? Mm-hmm. Your boss might tell you to go home from work or stop picking things up yeah. or do this stuff. And so it's more avoidance. Yeah. And so then that leads into you know booking in with people and telling them like, hey, like my back is messed up. Yeah. And then you start building more fear depending on the messages you're getting from healthcare providers. And then it's just a spiral. Yeah. Um, similar to like imagine if you're at work and uh, you were sitting down you were like my my back really hurts or like my neck really hurts and then they send you home rather than saying okay well let's figure out some different ways to move like let's yeah. figure out some different ways to sit down again it's just more avoidance i rarely see a policy in place that emphasizes the fact that we are allowed to change what we do instead of just completely avoid it mm. yeah okay yeah yeah and that's really interesting yeah um so they are creating a barrier between performance and rehabilitation because how can we realistically expect to rehabilitate someone in pain uh, to do the thing that they absolutely need to do if we can't look at different ways that we can perform? Yeah, yeah, and, and it almost even seems like a, a focus on performance then. Mm-hmm. You know, you if you think about it from the context of, of work and your boss just wants you to perform. Yeah, you're either performing or you're rehabilitating. Mm-hmm. There's no in between. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that never but really made much sense to me. In your rehabilitation, you're expecting. I guess what we're arguing. Yeah. Uh, is that that performance would be inherent in that, mm-hmm. and like you said, would kind of translate then once you're kind of rehabilitated back yeah. into your your overall performance. Yeah. Like you need to be somewhat specific with what you're doing. You can't just say like, okay, your back hurts when you sit down for long periods. So what you're gonna do is 
you're going to do water aerobics for uh, high intensity interval training uh, <laughs> seven days a week. And then after the seven days, you're going to sit back down to your desk and it's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you have yeah. to be somewhat specific with what you're doing. Yeah. And so allowing for similar tasks to be performed within the re- rehabilitative process mm-hmm. is usually more beneficial. But I think what the expectation is currently from policies in place for people that, let's be fair, aren't as well versed in this kind of stuff. If yeah. Like if your job is you're an oil engineer and you're in charge of other oil engineers or something like that at like a company, you're not going to know the musculoskeletal like rehab evidence, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or like, yeah. you know, psychological re- rehab uh, evidence. Yeah. But the policies in place are... And from my experience, really old school. So mm-hmm. their assumption is that, okay, things hurt, so something must be wrong. Yeah. So you need to stop doing what you're doing that hurts completely and go get rehabilitated. Yeah. After rehabilitation, you should be able to absolutely come back and do the exact same thing. Yeah. But what they're failing to realize is to be able to do something that is symptomatic, we likely need to do some form of graded exposure mm-hmm. into it. So. Yeah. That's where things kind of tend to butt heads, yeah. which is not fun. Well, that's, that's like, well, I'll use the example of stress, mm-hmm. right? If you get to the point where the, the stress of your job is incredibly overwhelming right. and causing, you know, physiological symptoms connected to like anxiety, like chest pain and stuff like that, right? That's going to affect your, your job performance. Yep. So typically they'll say, okay, well, take some time off. Right, you go and you relax and mm-hmm. you do your self care or you do your mindful activities or whatever your, uh, I guess, recovery would be. Yeah. And then they just throw you right back into the workload, and yeah. also you're a week behind on work now, and like, okay, all right, cope with the stress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're okay. good. <laughs> all right, well, I know because you, again, you're not getting that graded exposure, right? That that's, uh, I guess slower transition back into where you were that either caused the injury or yeah or or is uh presenting that pain Mm -hmm. or or whatever it is right or or the stress the mental distress yeah um which yeah yeah and 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 matt there's not even a whole lot of policy around mental health that's right like in the workplace there's not even a, a whole lot so typically there's no go to there's not even that go-to of like, okay, we're going to do this, this, this for you. It's yeah. kind of like uh, a lot of the times left to the discretion of your supervisor or boss mm-hmm. or whoever to say, okay, well, if you're really struggling, yeah, take some time off. Yeah. But what does that mean? Right. Right. I think it, it's a real shame. You know, I'm going to talk about, you know, I mentioned EAP programs, EFAP programs. And what was that again? The employee assistant programs or the employee and family assistant programs. Right. Um, that, you know, just, there's not even like a, a go-to policy for, okay, you're presenting with this, then we're going to give you some time off, but also here's the EAP number. Here's how you get in contact. I'd like to see you do this, this, this before you trans- transition back into work. And you, like, there's, there's none of that. Yeah. Right? So often, I mean, I went to... Um, I, I did a little bit of work with one company that they, they had a branch shutting down and it, it, it was like, I was telling them like, Hey, do you know that you have access to this? And they were like, no, nobody told us. That's wild. Right. And yeah. it's like, well, yeah. Like if you're really struggling, like you, you know, you might be losing your job or transitioning to another building or, you know, it, there was a whole lot going on. It's like, yeah, you you can reach out to a mental health professional. And, and mm-hmm. there's there's more to an EAP program than just that. There's all kinds of things, yep. depending on the program, how much your company's spending, and all of that jazz. But they, they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so where, it, it, there's no policy there saying, okay, if we see this presenting issue, the, the distress or depression, anxiety, whatever it is, mm-hmm. then give them the number or... They have to do some sort of rehabilitation, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't even get to that point, Matt, where we can talk about that rehabilitation performance blend because we're not even getting the rehabilitation. Right. That right. is a huge shame. Yeah. On one hand, though, I kind of think that's a positive. And I'll explain why. Okay, sure. When policies are in place, 
they aren't always this is going to be a hot take okay when policies <laughs> uh come in place in workplaces they aren't always from a great evidence base mm. and so that's where i'm coming from for me it's not that i don't have any policies it's that we have policies that are it actively makes it an uphill battle to get someone yeah, feeling yeah, better yeah convincing someone that they have to try something that they were told to completely avoid or is even worse bad for them yeah even though we don't have evidence to show that yeah, in fact, yeah, yeah, we have yeah. a lot of evidence showing the opposite yeah. uh turns into a huge headache works against you especially if there's some sort of substantial injury where you're putting in like insurance reports where you're telling them like hey like this person has been trying this for like rehab and then if the person isn't up to date with the evidence they will interpret that as being oh you're making them worse by doing this even though symptoms are getting mm -hmm. better but on the outside in, it looks like they're doing something that could hurt them when, in yeah. fact, it's just graded exposure back into what they need to do. Yeah. So yeah. not having policies in place at all, in my opinion, from my perspective, seems like you have a bit more freedom. But the shitty thing is that it people don't know that they can do it. Well, that's the thing with freedom is that it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Right? You have the freedom to make your own choices, but if you're not informed and you're not educated mm -hmm. on what choices are going to be most beneficial for you, mm. then who knows what choices you'll yeah. make, right? It might be beneficial. You might fluke into it, yeah. right? Or talk to somebody, or you might take that initiative yourself. But if you're in like a, a deep depression, mm -hmm. chances are you're not going to you know, go, go around talking to your friends about it, asking for advice and yeah. what they do and, and stuff like that. So then where you're learning how to handle that. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that policy would be the answer to that. Right. But at least that would be possibly some, something, mm -hmm. right. That, that, I guess that level of access, right? Like, are you getting anything? Are you getting nothing? Yeah. Is it better to get nothing? Is it better to get something? Again, gray areas. And if you're working in a company that's forward thinking and uh, up to date on their evidence, whether mm -hmm. it's physical or mental, emotional, whatever mm -hmm. sphere of health you want to, as long as they're up to date on that information mm -hmm. and have their employees' best interest at heart, yeah, right? Then I can definitely see that policy would be restrictive in that and letting those people make the decisions that they think are going to be best for their employees based on evidence and what their employee is presenting to them mm -hmm. i can certainly see that being some some utopian way of right dealing with workplace injuries in a perfect world <laughs> in a perfect world there would be like several third-party consulting like companies that you would go to for every single sphere of health yeah multiple like second third and fourth opinions create a policy and then have it change every few years yes yeah yeah, yeah. we'll that, get right on that yeah don't worry folks we got it that won't cost any money at all no and no no people would totally be willing to implement that um but honestly, that's how it would have to work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the uphill battles, even returning to sport, isn't just with, like, office policies. Yeah. I honestly have butted heads with, like, performance coaches here in the city. Oh, really? Because they feel, not even just in the city, just in general, if someone's yeah. being coached by distance from somewhere else, but they sometimes will feel that advice for rehabilitation, biased, although there is some performance in there, is me giving them coaching for performance. So okay. if someone is getting like, let's say an online program sure. on an Excel sheet, do these many exercises throughout the week for this many sets and reps and weight selection, all that stuff in there. Yeah. And then they're injured and they can't do it. They'll usually come to me and, you know, I'm injured. I can't do this. Yeah. And I'll be like, okay, well, what if we change the sets and reps and the weight and the yeah. exercise make it more graded. to make it more graded, you yeah. can tolerate it and you'll likely be able to return to what you're doing. By doing that, I've gotten emails from coaches. Yeah, <laughs> like, being like, stop messing around with Yeah, my stop messing around, even though performance my whole goal is to get someone back to that coach to do what they can do. Yeah. So, again, it's like it's not like I'm only rehabilitating people. Again, the expectation, the ex I said that weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the expectation. Expectation. <laughs> the ex expectation from that side of it yeah. is you're going to give them some simple stretches that are non-specific, that don't look like exercises, that will make them feel better, and then we're just going to throw them right back into the program they were just yeah. doing. And that it doesn't work like that. Yeah. For some people, it might help. For some people, that's all they need. 
but yeah. for a lot of people it's not and they need something more specific and more intensive yeah I, I imagine it is a leveled system you know if you can picture like uh, you know levels right and you're at a certain level of your performance yeah right and then you're injured so you got to drop down a level right so at that time that you're spending at that lower level you know rehabilitating yeah they say okay you're good and they just huck you back up to that other level right rather than you know picturing now like a, a laddered approach where you you know take the steps to get back to that level right, right? that the graded exposure that slowly upping the reps or increasing the weight or mm-hmm. wh- whatever it is that you're you know working on for rehabilitation yeah um you know like like stress well it, you know we can think of stress in in mobile and physical yeah. way right yeah um you know adding little bits of stress Right to get you back up to that level, yeah. Rather than just hucking you back into the stress and saying, "All right, let's see how you do, sink or swim." Exactly. Let's go. Well, it's like when, like, we were all kids. You remember when Close you were a kid were, yeah. and you tried to like jump the entire flight of stairs at once? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Instead of taking yeah. each step normally, yeah, you'd try and jump like four or five steps at a time to get up quicker. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's kind of what it's like, but also. Tough. Can you imagine, so like the comparison for that, for like your field, Yeah. imagine if there was a, like a coach and he worked at like Good Life or some random gym sure, and was helping a hockey player yeah. like train and then they had this big barrier of getting back on the ice because of some sort of like psychological disturbance that, you know, may have started physically or even didn't, but yeah. it's inhibiting them from getting back on the ice yeah. and then you work with them. To overcome that barrier and then you get a call from that coach saying what the hell are you doing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. why are you doing don't, this don't be talking to don't him. be don't don't, be, don't bring up hockey don't, don't bring up psychologically like, coaching him through that no 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 yeah. that's my job yeah and i'm going to yell at him until he gets over it yep because that's what i know because that's the mentality yeah sink or swim boy yeah right and if you do anything except Yell at him, you're doing a different training program, and I don't like that. Yeah. Well, getting him back on the ice increased performance? Yes. Are you a performance coach? No. So where's the rub, buddy? Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, stop talking about his feelings. <laughs> yeah. It's not for you. Not part of his performance program. <laughs> we didn't section out time for feelings. Nah. I wonder if he could. I'm picturing, I'm picturing me as a young boy playing hockey. Yeah. And five minutes of practice being about feelings. Mindfulness. Mmm. What's your fears? <laughs> I'm afraid of getting crushed into the boards, coach. Well, let's get in the boards. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's work through it. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, funny. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. That was fun. That's the episode. Yeah. Thanks for listening. As Hope always. Hope you learned something. And see you later. Bye. Thank you.